Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Gunner Podcast for the 18th of April, 2023. Happy Tuesday to you. I don't know. I got to figure this stuff out. I can't. Uh, it's just been one of those weeks, man. <laughs> I don't know what the hell day it is, what month it is, or what year it is. But other than that, I'm doing great. Anyway, welcome to the program. Appreciate you listening. Don't forget, I appreciate even more your support. And and that's why I reward you with autographed books. And this week you can win Sandra Day O'Connor autographed book or Mark Levin autographed book. Just go to patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com and sign up to support the show, get extra content and all that good stuff. I appreciate it. I want to get started as quickly as possible. So let's get through it and let's go do it. We have a lot to talk about, a lot of things going on, and uh, sitting here, I'm looking at, you know, I still check the Drudge Report every once in a while. It's a good source for things that aren't politics related, or if you, I guess if you want to know, if you don't want to go to Huffington Post, you can go to Drudge Report. It, Matt has really completely sold out. Um, and of course, the top story there is all about the Fox trial with... Uh, the Dominion, oh, it's 1.2, but whatever, who cares? Like, I honestly couldn't care less about that trial. But you look around there as well, and you see things that, um, you can see things from the liberal perspective, which is majority of the media. Matt will do anything for a click. Uh, but um, I'm looking at it, and I see... I watched over the weekend very little news, and I highly recommend you watch over weekends very little news. There's nothing good on cable, literally nothing good on cable news. So don't even turn it on. Um, Jen, I mean, for God's sakes, Jen Psaki has a show on, on on weekends now on cable news. There's literally nothing but garbage up there. But for some reason, there were riots in Chicago. And you saw the footage on social media. Anything that happens, you can find out on social media. Riots in Chicago. And I love the way the story is covered. Because if you put out an all-points bulletin on the participants in these riots in Chicago, you would be looking for a group of teens. Teens, teens, teens. Fox 32. Hundreds of teenagers flood into downtown Chicago, smashing car windows, prompting police response. Prompting, I love it. Prompting police response. They're rioting. They're looting. Prompting a police response. Hundreds of teenagers flood into downtown Chicago on Saturday night, smashing car windows, trying to get into Millennium Park, and prompting a major police response. At least one person in a car was attacked. Shots were fired near the corner of Madison and Michigan, and Fox 32 Chicago decided it was unsafe to keep our news crew on the scene. <laughs> Two teenagers were wounded by gunfire, and the crowd on the first block on East Washington Street. A 16- and 17-year-old boys were taken to Northwestern Memorial Hospital in fair condition with gunshot wounds. A woman whose car was smashed by people jumping on the windshield said her husband was beaten as he sat in the driver's seat. He's taken, been taken to Northwestern Memorial Hospital. 
Police were escorting tourists and others back to their cars in the Millennium Parking Garage. The crowd was trying to get into Millennium Park, but there were checkpoints around the perimeter, and people under 21 were not allowed without an adult. Imagine the, the nerve of a city. I mean, if you're looking at cities uh, with curfews, hey, Baltimore, you just imposed a curfew. Might want to maybe consider a contingency plan for something like this. Videos posted on social media show people standing on top of CTA buses and dancing. The CTA said that some services through the downtown area was disrupted on Saturday night because of police activity. It's not police activity. The police weren't the ones jumping on top of the cars. Can we stop with all this euphemisms crap? Oh, well, police activity. Police activity? Yeah, rampaging group of cops. Look out, they're smashing windows and stealing Nikes. Chicago police said nine adults and six juveniles were arrested. Most were charged with reckless conduct. A 16-year-old boy was charged with unlawful use of a weapon. In Chicago, possession of a weapon is unlawful, but he used it. Unlawful use of a weapon. And two people were charged with possession of a stolen vehicle. You know, just teens uh, having some fun. Quote, everyone is welcome and encouraged to enjoy all that Chicago has to offer, including the popular downtown area, but criminal activity will never be tolerated, police said in a statement. Those engaged in criminal activity will be arrested and held accountable. No, they absolutely will not. I promise you by this weekend these charges will be dropped, if not sooner. This is the second time this weekend that a group of rowdy teenagers has prompted a police response. On Friday night, hundreds of kids went into 31st Avenue Beach and a 14-year-old was shot. Isn't that nice? Now, teens, we've got to have a discussion about the destruction of liberalism, the destruction of the Democratic Party, particularly in the black community. I say it all the time, but when you tell people they don't stand a chance, especially kids, you don't stand a chance. If the education system is replaced with progressive preaching about how you're screwed because of your skin color and you're never going to get ahead, what's the point in trying? What's the point in caring? Honestly, if you have been told by people in authority that the police are out hunting you and there's virtually no consequence for police simply killing you, or anybody simply killing you, because your life is garbage in the eyes of society. Sooner or later, don't you think that people are going to, I don't know, believe you? When you only talk about stories that fit your narrative and ignore the rest of them, don't you think that certain people are going to look at that and go, oh my God, he's they're right, they're right. There's no meaning to my life. There's no hope in my life. There's nothing. And at which point would you not be, if you were as oppressed as Democrats are trying to convince people they are, would you not be justified or at least have the thought and going, this, to hell with this. I'm going to go get mine. Nothing matters. If nothing you do matters. If you're going to be oppressed, no matter what you do, then literally nothing matters. It's just that simple. The teens in question are black teenagers. And the reason they're rioting is because the education system has failed them. They're not rioting because the education, they're not going, we want it, we demand a good education. No, 
the rationale behind it, the reason behind it is because the education system has failed them. Grossly failed them. Got the same thing here in Baltimore. You got the same thing in every major city. Democrats have absolute control. Democrats don't give a damn about the education of minorities. An educated minority might not vote for Democrats. Can't have that. You got to indoctrinate them. I promise you, those kids rioting in Chicago know more pronouns than they do presidents. Issue a challenge. Name some presidents. Name some pronouns. Oh, there you go. How many genders are there? How many presidents have there been? Ask them basics about history. And I promise you, they won't know it. You see how many man-on-the-street interviews conducted by everywhere. Anybody. Everywhere. So they're out there rioting. Because why not? People getting shot. Nobody got killed. It's a miracle. Nobody got killed. And then you've got, you sit there and you go, well, what about the city government? The police were down there. The police were down there. The police did the best they could, but there were hundreds of teens running around like idiots. Where are the parents? Round them up, block the roads, make them calm down, arrest every single one of them. They can cordon things off and get numbers down there to make sure in a city block or two, you block off those roads, get everybody in there, hold the parents accountable. Where is the call? For, there are no calls for that. The police, with their big bombastic statements, we you will not be allowed. Yes, you will. You will. The police have to say that, but the powers that be will let them go. They will let them go. Because the fish rots from the head. And I want to play you a clip of the mayor of Chicago. There, I'm sorry, the mayor-elect of Chicago. He hasn't taken office yet. But I mean, the mayor of, the fact that the mayor of Chicago isn't out there, she's still mayor. Lori Lightweight, she's still mayor. You wouldn't know it. She's not doing much of anything. She's probably mad that people rejected her. But uh, the mayor-elect has a chance to set the tone. And this is why the next four years in Chicago are going to be hell. If you have not, if you're in Chicago, you know anybody in Chicago, any family in Chicago, it's like, oh, they live in a nice neighborhood. They live here. They live, get them out. They might be able to pull some value out of their property if they own a home there to sell it, condo, whatever. Sell it now because it's only going to get worse over the next four years. The mayor-elect had a chance. And you see these every once in a while. The incoming administration has an opportunity to really lay down the law. Really lay down, we will not tolerate these things. We were not going to put up with this. I, I want these people charged. I want these people arrested. I want them. I want the book thrown at them. Examples must be set. Nope, that's not what you get from the mayor-elect Brandon Johnson of Chicago. Instead, you get justifications and you get avoidance. It's not a straight-up refusal because he doesn't say, I won't do that. But he is asked multiple times to condemn rioting. And instead, he tries to justify it. Loot because they, that's how they can eat? The real answer is, how do we make sure the question 
is how do we make sure that people can eat? Look, no one is going to condone, um, you know, behavior that, that, quite frankly, speaks to a level of desperation. So you're not people you're not are, condoning looting. I'm saying that people are acting out of desperation. We don't want a society that is acting out of desperation. But you have to pay attention to the cries that people have. By so you're, you're not that, condoning looting. Th- th- there's no way to 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 embrace that. What I'm saying is. You can't condone the looting that corporations continue to do every single day when they take tax dollars from black, brown, white folks all over the city of Chicago so that they can turn a profit. Yeah, no, it's those evil corporations, man. Look, that Nike store shouldn't have worn such a short skirt if it didn't want to have my hand shoved up it and through the window and ripped it off. Not that there's a lot of sympathy for Nike going around or any of these stores because they embrace liberalism. and They think, well, if we just embrace liberalism a little bit harder. A little bit harder, we'll do it. And there's your mayor elect. Well, you won't, so you won't, you don't condone looting. Nah, nobody's saying that. Look, what I don't condone is this. You can't just bring yourself to say this is wrong. Ah, what about the corporations? Yeah, have you ever in your life been forced to buy something a corporation is selling, aside from by government. It's weird because government is the only one forcing you to engage in uh, anything, any transactions with corporations, with uh, Obamacare, for example, which we have a little bit about coming up. They force you to engage. They force you to purchase their product. Corporations don't have the power to force you to do anything. Corporations, look out, ladies and gentlemen, we've got... uh, Four or five major corporations marching down Michigan Avenue right now, smashing up Starbucks and uh, breaking windows and shots fired, shots fired. I believe the Gap just fired some shots. At, uh, Louis Vuitton is now firing, throwing Molotov cocktails at... Pol- nope. It is not corporations that do this. It is human beings. It is people. And it is people who have been, whether either wealthy white suburbanite kids who have been told they're monsters their whole lives and are out there trying to fight for quote-unquote social justice in order to somehow make up for their skin color, or it is minority kids who have been told you're never going to get ahead, don't even bother trying, by people who've gotten ahead, who tried. It's weird. If you just look at the people who are telling you you're never going to get ahead, the system is rigged, and you, you should go, well, how did you do it then? How did you manage to do it, Elizabeth Warren, growing up on an Indian reservation and now a United States senator worth tens of millions of dollars? If the system is rigged, how did you do it? Because you got a double whammy. You're Native American, tiny fraction of amount, and a woman, both of which are oppressed. Everybody everywhere is oppressed. How'd you manage to skate by? How'd you buck Trent? How'd you beat the system, Barack Obama? The system is rigged against you, and yet you made it to the presidency, and now you've got a couple, what, a couple hundred million dollars? You did it. How, what makes you so special? Uh, is it because you are special? I think a lot of times these people believe they truly are special, but you ask anybody. Magazine Waters, few people whine about the oppressive racism. Like Maxine Waters does, she represents 
Los Angeles, in the poor areas of Los Angeles, South Central Los Angeles. She doesn't live there. She lives in Beverly Hills. She's, she's rich and doesn't actually live in her district. But how did she manage to get rich? Realistically, she monetized her seat on the House Banking Committee. A lot of money in banking. And uh, eh, what are you going to do? She raises millions from campaign money and sends it and spends it on her kids. She hires them for her campaign where she squeaks by with 77% of the vote. Just barely making it in for re-election. She's so oppressed. The system is so rigged against people like her that she's only been able to manage to amass a small fortune of $10 million. I mean, it's just... One of those horrible situations, you hate to see it where she's so, it would that we were all so oppressed. Am I right? Am I right? Of course I'm right. You're never going to address these problems if you refuse to admit that they are problems. You're never going to make anything better if you don't first acknowledge that your philosophy and your party's activities are the reason things were made worse in the first place. Wildly inconvenient for Democrats. They can't win without this vote. And so they have to remain silent while the bodies pile up, while the crimes pile up, and the economy in these depressed areas gets worse and worse and worse. But they get reelected, so I mean, isn't that all that really matters? I just honestly, I don't understand how politicians, well, I get how politicians, I take that back. I do get how politicians look at a problem and go, meh, I'm not going to address that. But what I am going to do is pretend to address that by making it worse or by ignoring it or whatever, by doing whatever it is. I'm not going to really talk about the cause of it. I'm going to blame something else for my advantage. Because it works. And, there, and unless and until there comes a point at which it doesn't work, they're going to keep embracing it. They're going to keep engaging in it. Why wouldn't you, you know, you stick with what works? Why wouldn't you continue it? It doesn't, you, there's a common misconception that politicians care. That politicians give a damn. They look at a situation like, oh, the poverty here. These children in poverty. These children. Food deserts. Oh, they've got all the buzzwords. they got all the best buzzwords. Food deserts. This, that, and the other. Economic depression. Economic segregation. It's all somebody else's fault. The people who are saying it's somebody else's fault are the people who have the direct responsibility to at least stop it, to at least change it. Don't they? City council members, mayors, they all sit there and they go, oh my goodness, this is a horrible situation in this city. Well, yeah, it is. And it's all the fault of somebody else somewhere. How is it the fault of somebody else somewhere? You have direct, con somebody else somewhere, here in Maryland, Baltimore City, not a real place you want to vacation, not a place you want to take the kids, not a place you really want to live unless you're young and you like the city life and you stay really just in the north-south corridor there, north of downtown and south of Hopkins, right in that area as long as you're not actually you don't want to go too far above the, the train station because that's a little bit 
problematic in there. But, you know, you can live there for a little while. Have some great stories. I did it. I did 13 years there. But everything got continually worse while I was there. Because why? Because the political class. There was no real reason to address any of the issues. They knew that no matter what happened, the odds, you have a, a greater risk of getting struck by lightning in your own home than a Democrat does in losing an election, losing an incumbent Democrat does at losing an election in a place like Baltimore. Now, granted, you got a a 60% chance of going to jail, but I mean, that's beside the point. You'll at least win, and you could probably pull the Marion Barry about it. Yeah, you got uh, booted for smoke and crack you went to jail for it but then you come back and you get re-elected mayor and then you get elected to city council and at a certain point we should always remember about mary and barry we have to look at it and you go people had a chance not only they had a chance to get somebody better than mary and barry they knew that mary and barry was smoking crack on top of all the other corruptions, okay, politicians, every politician or almost every politician, they get rich. You got Nancy Pelosi getting filthy rich through insider trading deals. It's not just Democrats up there. They made it legal for them to do that. You look at that and you go, okay, I guess that's just part of the deal. But when you got somebody smoking crack, that seems a little bit different to me. All right, If you want to smoke crack in your personal life, Go ahead, but you're mayor all the time. You're not, there is no personal life. The mayor's mayor all the time. You want to retire to smoke crack? Go ahead. But you want to smoke crack whilst mayoring? Got a problem with that. Got a problem with that. But at some point, sooner or later, somebody's got to be turned out. Lori Lightfoot was turned out. But she was turned out in a primary where there were two other options. So you split the field that way, and she came in third place. If that was a two-person race, particularly if it were Lori Lightfoot versus a Republican, or dare I even say an independent, a registered independent, if they had party affiliation rather than a straight-up sort of mass mass election where there's no party affiliation, Lori Lightfoot would probably have won re-election. Because it doesn't seem like you can horrible your way out of a an elected gig if you're a Democrat. The last Democrat that I can remember who was so bad that they actually lost in a genuine partisan election was David Dinkins. That lost to Rudy Giuliani, but people don't remember. It was Koch versus, uh, well, Koch retired, I think he retired. And David Dinkins was the Democrat nominee. And he ran against Rudy Giuliani, and he won once. They looked at the Koch years in New York, and they said, well, we want more of that, but not with him. I think he might have been term limited. I can't remember. But they got rid of Koch, and they got David Dinkins. They had a chance to go with Rudy. And David Dinkins was so bad that they said, all right, well, let's, let's try a Republican. And it worked. It worked incredibly well to the point now that you can go to, well, maybe not now because it's been a while. They got complacent. That's also a problem. But wouldn't you like, wouldn't you rather have the option of getting complacent and backsliding rather than continue to slide down the hole? 
Because backsliding means that you've actually made, what's the word Democrats love to use all the time? Oh, yeah, progress. You've actually moved the ball forward. Crime had gone down. The economy had turned around. Businesses had returned. I don't think people living today, I guess if you were alive at the time, but the younger people, if you're under 40, unless you watch movies, you probably don't have any real concept of how bad things were in the 70s and to the 80s. The 80s, they started to turn around, but you're never going to turn a ship around on a dime. Watch pretty much any movie, any cop movie set in New York, as long as it's not futuristic. A realistic cop movie set in New York in the 70s to early to mid-80s. Fort Apache, the Bronx is the one that comes to mind because it's palatable and it's got uh, Paul Newman in it. So, you know, you, you get some, some good acting. You don't have to look at the story per se. Look at the scenery. Look at the background. Look at the set. Look at what Manhattan was. This is Manhattan and, and parts of Manhattan. There are movies that are, you name it. Fort Apache, the Bronx isn't in. Uh, it does some of it does take place in Manhattan? But look at other cop movies that are set. In, I think the French Connection is set in New York, or you can look at movies set in Chicago. You can't buy a, a phone booth or rent a phone booth in Manhattan right now for less than I don't know two grand a month. But if you look at these movies set in the seventies and eighties, you will see abandoned lots. You will see, not abandoned lots where they're doing construction, like, oh, well, this is going to be the future home of this, that. No, it is abandoned lots with bricks piled on. They just knocked down a building because it became a fire hazard and a drug den. And they took the building down and they left the bricks sitting there. The city was on the verge of bankruptcy in the 70s. Didn't recover really quickly until, uh, well, didn't recover for a long time. But now there isn't a vacant lot full of bricks sitting anywhere in New York. It's construction. It's crane city. It's like Johnny Appleseed walked through and put those giant construction cranes in there. That's still the ripple effect from Rudy Giuliani and, to a lesser extent, Michael Bloomberg. Now, they've gone significantly downhill from there. Bill de Blasio was a disaster. But leadership at the top matters. The priorities at the top matter. Rudy Giuliani wanted to make the city better, wanted to get crime under control, wanted to bring economic activity back. You look at Chicago, mayor-elect Brandon Johnson. He hates corporations, the roving bands of corporations marching down the street, rioting everywhere. It's unfair. Hey, these kids are rioting. What do you think of that? Well, I think it's uh, what you expect when you have corporations making profits. Huh? What? Oh, the tax breaks for corp. What tax breaks for corporations? What tax breaks for corporations are causing riots down there? What? Which ones? Because if you could show me that tax breaks for corporations are causing riots or causing people to shoot each other, then I'm so mad that I could go and shoot somebody who has nothing to do. I'm going to go shoot a teenager because what? Foot Locker gets a tax break. I don't think that's ever said by anybody else. I was just going through the uh, tax filings 
of Goldman Sachs, and I am outraged. Outraged, I tell you, to the point that I must go and shoot a teenager. No. There's something else going on, and it's the fault of politicians. To keep electing the same politicians or different politicians with the same political philosophy, you're going to get the same result. And it begins at a certain point to make it difficult to care. You have to sit there and you just go, I can't. All I can do is tell you what's going on. All I can do is give you the information and hope and pray that you make the right decision. And if you don't, then it's on you. At a certain point, it's on you. And we're well past that point that it's on you. So while the left is overseeing the destruction of our major cities, the purposeful destruction, the managed destruction, it's managed destruction. You notice it's weird. They, they, businesses have been looted, burned, destroyed throughout the, the summer of BLM Antifa riots. And since then, they, there's always been kind of grumblings. Of ri- no city halls have been. Have you noticed that? Those get the protection normal people used to be afforded, right? That, those places, government employees where mayors live, you know, a lot of cities have mayor's mansions and things. They get the protection that they used to exist to give us. It's weird how that works. They're taken care of. Try to, try to march on the mayor's house. See how that goes. Throw your uh, bricks through the windows of town hall and then maybe get up there with uh, some Molotov cocktails and you'll see how quickly the police don't tolerate that stuff. But if you have yourself a, a dry cleaners or clothing store or any kind of store someplace else, meh, they'll put the fire out. They won't want you throwing Molotov cocktails. But if they're, they're looting, there's a lot of stuff with resale value the secondary markets, in town halls. Lots of computers, things like that. Yet uh, those places are protected. You, on the other hand, the people who pay for all that stuff, not so much. Not so much at all. Um, So you sit there and you go, that's a little bit weird. It's a liberal promise. Going to make this city better. Going to make this state better. We're going to make this country better. And yet they don't. They don't. And they always have a scapegoat. It's those damned Republicans. It's those MAGA Republicans. Whatever it is. It doesn't matter. They're calling them MAGA Republicans now. It was just Republicans before. It's been conservatives in the past. It doesn't matter. It is always somebody else. It's just somebody else. And that's where the left lives. It's somebody else's fault. Somebody else did it. That brings us to Bernie Sanders. Ginger Goebbels, Jen Psaki, has a show on MSNBC. It's kind of funny. She said the other day that she she views the transition to journalism, which is hilarious. You host a show on cable. It's not journalism. But her transition to journalism, God, Democrats love transitioning, don't they? Her transition to journalism was easy from White House press secretary from ginger Goebbels, from the spokesmodel for because why because it's the same damn thing You're on the same team you don't have to change uniforms you just sat in a different place on the bench that's 
why it was so easy for you. But she had Bernie Sanders on. Now, uh, Bernie, Bernie seems like a really joyless human being sometimes. On occasion, you see him kind of chuckle. But mostly, he just seems crotchety. Crotchety is the right word for him. He seems crotchety. He's on there to pimp his book. He's got a book about why you're right to hate capitalism or whatever. That It doesn't really matter what it's called because it's garbage. It's Bernie making a ton of money. I'm not really sure that Bernie Sanders is uh, selling as many copies as he used to. The book is... It's okay to be angry about capitalism. Oh, thank goodness it's okay to be angry about capitalism. It's judging by the number of reviews, which is a loose way of judging how things are going. Compared to his other books, it's not selling nearly as much as it did. But it's all about the evils of capitalism. So he's on with Ginger Goebbels to sell this book. To make it... Look, he's got three houses those property taxes are not going to pay themselves. The cleaning ladies are not going to do it because of their commitment to socialism. His wife sure as hell isn't going to clean. She's too busy putting community colleges out of business. So he's got a daddy needs to keep making money because daddy's adapted to having a ton of money. So he's on with Ginger Goebbels, and he goes off on a tangent. He's not really—he's in a crotchety mood. So she's setting him up for a nice, easy time on the show, and instead he starts grousing about things. And in it, in his little rant, he accidentally badmouths Obamacare, not by name, but if you remember the Obamacare debate in 2009-2010, what was the point of the federal government taking over a huge chunk of health care in this country? Mandating it, forcing people to buy it, engaging in this. What was because there were tens of millions of Americans who did not have health insurance. Remember that? It was terrible. It was the only country in the whole world, industrial country, that doesn't have socialized medicine. Healthcare is a right. We should have healthcare is a right. It's wrong. There are there are thirty million, forty million. They made all all these numbers. Thirty million, forty million Americans without healthcare. We need to do it. Healthcare should be a right. And that was what Obamacare was going to do. Now the way they got to that um, forty million number, you have to understand. At least back then, I haven't checked the numbers. I don't know if anybody's checked the numbers because they've been used effectively against the left. The number of uninsured people, make, there, were, there were about 15 million chronically uninsured people. That means people uninsured for six months or longer, right? Those are chronically uninsured. And you say, well, how did they get to 30 to 40 million people? They created numbers. They created numbers. I tell you, if you control the unit of measure, you can control everything. They took... Anybody who switched jobs, say you switch a job, right? You start one job, leaving another job, you're going to take a week off in between. And the new job says you got to work there two weeks before your benefits kick in, whatever. You have then been uninsured technically for three weeks. If your insurance stopped when you left and picked up two weeks after you started your new job with a week off in between, you would count as uninsured. Now, what they did for that 
because people switch jobs all the time. That wasn't enough. That still got that got you about thirty million, and that didn't really resonate because of the reality of it. So then they instead of measuring it over one year, they measured it over two years, and that's how you got to forty million. That's how you got to forty. Meanwhile, there's still fifteen million chronically uninsured people, of which fully one third of those fifteen million, five million of them, had annual incomes of this is back in the early two thousands. Annual incomes of over $50,000, which means what? They're self-employed or whatever, or they're actively choosing. Most of them were very young. They actively chose not to get health insurance. What are you talking about? Well, if you're starting out just out of college, you feel 10 feet tall and bulletproof. You're 23 years old, ready to take on the world, but you know, moving to a place where it's pretty expensive to live. And or you just don't want to look at, you know, it's going to cost me, what, 100 bucks a month for health insurance? I haven't been to the doctor. I'm sick. I'm, I'm 23 years old. I'm in peak physical condition. I'm going to pass on health insurance. That's what it was. Or people who said, you know what, I can save my contribution to health insurance. And if I get sick, I can go to the clinic. You're playing Russian roulette in a lot of ways. You're gambling that you will be fine that you won't get something seriously ill, that you'll just get. And, and frankly, for the most part, most people it works out well for when you're young. So one third of the chronically uninsured were uninsured by choice. That leaves, the real number was between 10 and 12 million people if you removed the people who chose to be uninsured. We could have easily targeted a program if you really wanted to help the uninsured, the chronically uninsured, not the people switching jobs, could have easily targeted a small program towards those people. But that isn't what Democrats wanted. Democrats wanted the government camel's nose under the tent in the health care field, in the health insurance field so that they could get the rest of the camel in. They ultimately want to take over the entire industry. They never build it as that way. They want socialized medicine. So Obamacare passes. Joe Biden says it's a BFD. And oh my goodness, the media went crazy. This is wonderful. This is great. They had solved the uninsured problem in this country. That's what we were told. That was the point of Obamacare. Because most people who had insurance, they just wanted to be left alone. That's why it was so wildly unpopular. They wanted to be left alone. And the government said, well, we can't leave you alone because we have to mess with what you got and make you pay a hell of a lot more than you otherwise were in order to help the uninsured. You've got to pay more to help somebody else. People didn't like that. They threw the Democrats out. But Democrats didn't care. They were willing to throw themselves on that grenade because it was advancing the ball towards socialism. So now, just 10 years later, after all the lawsuits settled and all the the uh, the Obamacare didn't kick in until after the 2012 election because they didn't really want people to be aware of the consequences when they had Barack Obama's name on the ballot. That's why it was that and bookkeeping scams. But now that it's been in place, guess what? We still have tens of millions of uninsured people. 
the chronically uninsured are still chronically uninsured. Actually, I think their ranks have grown thanks to the Biden economy. So Bernie Sanders is up there and he accidentally admits this. He doesn't directly say it, but you'll hear it. And as long with all of his other list of grievances, I swear to God, he lives in a world where it's festivus all the time. The title of your book, It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism, really did sit with me. It is a memorable book title, Senator. Of all the things voters are angry about, and there are many, abortion, the lack of progress on gun reform, even Clarence Thomas's questionable relationship with a billionaire. I know how you feel about billionaires. Why should capitalism be at the top of that list? Why was that important to be in the title of that book? Jen, what's important, abortion is a huge issue. Social justice is a huge issue. But, you know, sometimes the corporate media forgets about it and Congress forgets about it. You and I are chatting today. Do you know that there are tens and tens of millions of Americans who cannot afford health care, who are scared to death that if their kid or their parent gets sick, they don't know what's going to happen? There are people working for starvation wages. There are moms who can't afford to send their kids to decent childcare, can't even find a slot. Those are in issues of enormous consequence we don't talk about. Wait a second. Mil- tens of millions of people without adequate health care? How is that possible? We had Obamacare. You are paying a hell of a lot more than you otherwise would have for health insurance because of Obamacare. And we still have the same number, if not a little bit more, of the people who are uninsured. At which point, would you not, I mean, you're Ginger Gerbil, she's not going to occur to this, but wouldn't you say, wouldn't Republicans, shouldn't Republicans, since they're terrible at messaging, but shouldn't Republicans be going, hey, here's an idea. Let's introduce repeal. Let's talk about repeal. You can also throw in replace, I suppose, but at least repeal, saying you're costing the average American family, whatever it is, so they would have the numbers and get the numbers from the Congressional Budget Office or the Heritage Foundation or somebody will give it to them. The, uh, you're costing the American family, the average American family, thousands more than they otherwise would have for health insurance, for having government be involved in health care. Here's a chart of what it used to cost to here's what it costs now, way up higher there. So we should repeal Obamacare if the main reason it came into existence turns out to not work or it turns out to be false. Whatever you, However you want to frame it, I'll leave the messaging up to you guys. You have people on staff you pay large sums of money for to uh, come up with this messaging, but they don't do it. They don't do it. In fact, Republicans have stopped completely talking about repeal and replace. It used to be repeal, then it was repeal and replace, and now it's meh, all because one vote from John McCain. You want to know why people are so disgusted with their politicians? There isn't anybody running for president right now talking about repealing and replacing Obamacare. All of the problems that existed with Obamacare still exist. The difference is people got used to them. Your Health insurance premiums, your contributions are up significantly from 2013 when Obamacare kicked in. Actually, they started going up before that. They're up significantly, but you're used to it. You're used to paying them. 
Just like gas prices. Gas prices are inching up towards $4 a gallon again. But you don't really hear the grousing about it that you used to. This is the weighted out strategy that works so well for Democrats. They screw things up. Everybody's angry, but do they screw? They, they just wait it out. Just wait it out and people will forget. People will move on. Gasoline is up. Gasoline is still going up. The Saudis are cutting production. Why? Because they have no respect for this president. In fact, they have contempt for this president. And so screw all of us because of that. And nothing's happening. Nothing's being done. The Biden administration isn't even really being asked about it. There's a good possibility that in the next month we'll be back to $4 a gallon gas. Will we hear about it from these people? No, we won't. Will the White House press corps go at it again? No, probably not. Will Secretary Mayor Pete be pressed on the issue? It is highly doubtful. Because why? Because he got used to it. We are the frog in the pot of water where they turn the flame on underneath it. We slowly boil to death, not even noticing what was going on. You want to have contempt for politicians and contempt for Republicans? Nobody. Have contempt for all of them. Nobody's out there talking about it. Not Trump, not DeSantis, not uh, the scammer Ramaswamy, nobody in con- nobody. Nobody on cable news is talking about it either. But it's happening whether you're aware of it, whether you're talking about it or not. So as we're uh, sitting here talking about corrupt politicians and the lies that they tell and everything, we can't let the media off the hook. They are the enablers. They're supposed to be the we speak truth to power people, but they don't speak truth to power. They speak the truth of the powerful. It'd be really awkward if you'd spent, you know, five days reporting on Hunter Biden and the Biden family and how it is that they've made millions from overseas companies. And then you ran into Hunter Biden at the cocktail party in Georgetown or I don't know, a brothel in Vegas, wherever you run into Hunter Biden. Let's be honest, it ain't church. So the possibilities possibilities aren't endless, but they are limited. They're going to be severely... I I went to church the other day and I ran into Hunter Biden. Really? What the hell is Hunter Biden doing there? I think he was stealing from the collection plate, honestly. I'm pretty sure. I'm not... Can't vouch for that for sure, but he was high and he might have been digging through the dumpster for leftovers. Who knows? But if you report on these people, honestly, politics is like a team sport and everybody, particularly on the left, are like Boston Red Sox fans. You're either a Boston Red Sox fan or you're the enemy. It doesn't matter. You could be like, you know what? The Boston Red Sox are okay. No, no, you're not good enough. It's not pure enough. And when you're losing, they're miserable. And when they're winning, they're miserable. They're, they're, except for when they're dealing with each other. When they deal with each other, it's different. When they deal with each other, they're fine. It's one of those kind of things about the left that you just sit there. And you go, they are the ultimate in... New England sports fans. 
So when you see somebody saying something that is so out of touch, it doesn't. there's no correction, there's no, hey, that's not how it is, and there's no contrary thought. There's no correction. There's no, well, on occasion they do have somebody on, and this is one of those rare occasions. I want to play you a clip from Meet the Press. I swear to God, Chuck Todd is so out of touch that I'm not sure what planet he lives on, to be honest with you. He's already banned. Like anybody who doesn't believe in climate change is not welcome on Meet the Press because the debate is over. It's pretty much the same thing on every left-wing issue. And you wonder, it used to be important. Sunday shows were important. The hosts on Sunday shows were interested in really digging in the politicians. Now they're 90% panels. They're 90%. You watch these shows and they go to the panel like three, four times throughout the show. And like you had two interviews and three segments of panels. What the hell is going on here? The panels are worthless. They used to be interesting because they did have people who um, knew things about stuff. They don't anymore. They don't anymore. And so you end up with, this is uh, Meet the Press with Leanne Caldwell, who is a Washington Post reporter. There was a time, by the way, when reporters would not do panels, when reporters would, they wouldn't give their opinions because they were reporters. Now, reporters are, a reporting job is only the, it's the gateway to getting a television contract. That's the ultimate thing. Everybody wants to be Woodward and Bernstein. Well, the worst thing to happen, I wrote this in my book, the worst thing to happen to journalism ever was what they view as the best thing to happen to journalism ever. It was Watergate, not the bringing down of Nixon or the exposure of what had happened there, but the way that Woodward and Bernstein were catapulted to celebrity. Because it wasn't looked at as, well, that's a rarity and okay, whatever. It was a whole bunch of people going, I want want the exact same thing. I want to be a television star. I want movies to be made about me. I want to sell books. I want to become a millionaire, a multimillionaire. That's what we have to do. Like, whoa, whatever happened to journalism? Journalism went by the wayside. Journalism didn't matter as much as the attention. Slowly that evolved into whatever you do, get yourself a cable news gig, get yourself a broadcast news gig, get on television, get a contract with television. It pays a hell of a lot more than print journalism does. Get it, get it, get it. And to do that, you had to get rid of the objectivity. You had to get rid of the journalism part of journalism. At the same time, a whole bunch of activists decided to go into journalism. So they were rewarded with massive contracts at the same time cable news split and stopped doing news and they just did choir preaching and so it became this momentum swirl around the toilet bowl as it goes down so i want to play you this to talk uh, to hear what the press is now saying what the left i should say is now saying about Ron DeSantis. You can think what you will about Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida. The idea that he's not ready for the national stage is ridiculous. He has been 
since first getting elected, since he first beat Andrew Gillum, who's now on trial, I forget what for. But the guy, the Democrats came within 50,000 votes of winning, beating Ron DeSantis the first time he ran because they propped up the Tallahassee mayor, uh, Andrew Gillum. Andrew Gillum, he would be the first African-American governor of Florida. Historic. CNN and MSNBC could not stop pimping this guy. And he barely lost. They almost dragged him across the finish line. And then what happened? We found out a few months later, he immediately got signed by CNN. He was a CNN contributor. It was a CNN job was meant to be a placeholder for him to get a good living while he regrouped for the rematch against Ron DeSantis. And then he got caught in a hotel room with a uh, gay porn star and crack you know that kind of put a damper on his uh, future election plan it was so bad cnn fired him right you really have to do something bad to get cnn to fire you you have to be caught in a hotel room with somebody who has sex for money with piles of drugs and passed out and have a whole bunch of pictures of you passed out in there or be discovered to be a conservative. One of those two things will get you fired from CNN. Nothing else. You can lie all you want, but that will get you fired from CNN. Anyway, after being on the national stage, because as soon as Ron DeSantis won his first election and then the pandemic hit and Florida was kind of an example to the country and and getting attacked by Democrats left and right, Ron DeSantis has been on the national stage. It's been, what, four years since Ron DeSantis has been on the national stage, if you don't count the first two years of his administration. So to say that he's not ready for primetime, not ready for the scrutiny is absurd. But this is what passes for intellectual discussion amongst leftists and in the media. In baseball, there's an old term called rabbit ears. Uh, somebody's at bat and they hear all of the critiques behind them. Mm. And it seems like he hears every criticism and responds to it. Oh, you're not doing this enough. You're not doing this enough. Oh, I don't like your Ukraine response. And he's almost responding to it all. Oh, wait, too many abortions are happening in Florida right now. Oh, let me deal with that. Yeah. Well, there's some concern among some Republicans that he's not yet ready for prime time. Um, that's one of the messages that Nikki Haley is pushing. And that's what you hear from Republican sources as well. He's not tested. He's been in a bubble in Florida, not mm-hmm. talking to the press, not engaging. And he is very popular there. But what happens when he meets a national media? What happens when he meets Donald Trump, who is masterful at taking down his candidates or his opponents? Yeah. <laughs> Don't you love it? Don't you love it? He's not ready for... All these Republicans are saying... No. No. Nobody's saying that. Nobody serious is saying that. Nobody with any clues to what the hell they're talking about is saying that. He has been... And Chuck Todd's in him. Yeah. Yeah, he hasn't been... Tra- what percentage of shows of Meet the Press over the past three years do you think they've mentioned Ron DeSantis on? Eighty. Eh, 90% during COVID, it was all well around us. They're refusing. They're, he's not even opening the beaches, or he's not even closing the beaches. Remember that left wing lawyer that dressed up like the Grim Reaper and went to beaches and showed all the people on the beaches in the background going, they're going at the beaches, but COVID is around. I'm death here. 
to uh, point out all the problems that I'm waiting for all of these people. I can't wait to get them. Unironically, that guy was at the beach with the local news crews that followed him around. Going, He went to each major market and there's an oh, look at death. And each time he did it, he was booked on CNN or MSNBC because he was highlighting Ron DeSantis and how he was killing people with sunlight or whatever it was during COVID. He hasn't been, he's not tested. He hasn't been on the national. Are you insane? Do these people not follow the media? No. They live in a world where they are preaching to the choir. They are not trying. They are wranglers, not reporters. Their job is no longer to inform an audience. Their job is to make sure their audience does not become informed. Make sure people do not engage in activities outside of the approved activities. Make sure that information does not get in. You, They are the sheepdogs. Make sure that no wolves come in and get the sheaves. Sheep, wolves being the truth or contrary opinions. It's disturbing that you can sit there and have the host of Meet the Press go, yeah, yeah, you really, he's not ready for Brian. That Ron DeSantis, they don't know. Now, there are two schools of thoughts as to why this is happening. They're trying to provoke some sort of response from the DeSantis people or whatever. They're mad, obviously, that DeSantis, DeSantis is refusing to deal with outlets that lie about him. When they lie about him, his team points out that they're lying about him, and then he won't grant them interviews. And they're going, why won't you grant us interviews? Because you're lying about it. Like, if... If you punch somebody in the face every time you saw them, they might not, or at least try to, they might not be in a hurry to grant you an interview. So there is that. They're mad at him because of that. Maybe they're trying to provoke him to come on and defend himself. But the guy hasn't announced what he's going to do in 2024. He sure as hell isn't going to subject himself to the ginger avenger over there, Chuck Todd. Why would he? Screw Chuck Todd. There's also the other school of thought, and think of this what you will, and go ahead and direct all the hate mail you want toward me. But there is the belief that the media is desperate on a couple of accounts to get Trump the nomination for the Republican Party. There two, the two schools of thought are they want Trump, and it's two-pronged, I guess it's not two separate schools. The school of thought is that they want Trump because he is so unpopular with the general public that he could win, they could push him over the edge on a Republican primary, but he just can't win the general election because too many people dislike him. There's some merit to that. There are a lot of poll. People might vote for him. They might not vote for him, but they don't. Fifty Nowhere near 50% of the people have a favorable opinion of him. They just don't. The general public. Republicans, yes. The general public, the elected, uh, the electorate, no. So they want him for that, but they also want him because he was ratings gold. He was ratings gold for all the whining and complaining that they did about the man. There was, you know, Jim Acosta. He's horrible. He's terrible. Jim Acosta was somebody. Jim Acosta was in the White House. Now Jim Acosta is relegated to weekend CNN. 
weekend weekend cable is bad enough. Weekend cable is bad enough. Fox goes from three million viewers to like a million viewers. Two thirds of their audience is gone on the weekends. The one third that are still there are probably just TVs left on in an empty room. I would guess because the shows are unbearable. But you go to CNN and there's fewer than nobody. Jim Acosta has to make reservations to get a table at a restaurant or he has to show up and wait. During the Trump administration, he just had to show up and they would chop down a tree to make a new table out of, out of it to give him some place to sit so that they could feed him. He was somebody. He was a contender. That's gone now. They want him back. They don't want him back. and they've, They remember what they did in 2016. They carried every Trump rally. They let him phone in and they'd give him an hour, hour and a half. The sh- Remember, the shows would go long. He's on the phone with Don Lemon. No, Hillary never, well, Hillary never called in, but Hillary was never going to give Don Lemon an hour and a half. But into whatever show comes next, they were not going to do that. But they did it with Trump because it was ratings gold. They never took the man seriously. And he won. And they realized that, oh my God, we played a role, they believe they played a role in that. Realistically and honestly, hate me all you want for it, but I believe the biggest reason Donald Trump won in 2016 was that he was running against Hillary Clinton. He was running against Hillary Clinton. There were a lot of people who didn't care for Trump, didn't like Trump, but Hillary Clinton was so objectionable, so gross. Is it not because she was a woman, but because she was Hillary Clinton. We're just done with the Clintons, sick of them. They had lied to everybody for 30 years at that point, been complete and total frauds. And now suddenly you're supposed to vote for Hillary. Why? She was running around saying, I am historic. I will be the first. I'll shatter that glass ceiling. So much so that she booked She booked her victory party on election night at the Javits Center in New York, in Manhattan. I've been to the Javits Center. I've been to the New York Comic Con there. The ceiling is glass. Like the the roof is glass and a large portion of it. This giant entryway. And that's where they booked their victory party for 2016 because she was going to shatter the glass ceiling. I promise you. I don't know what the speech was. But I promise you there was a line in there about the glass ceiling being up there. And oh boy, howdy, now that ceiling is shattered. She had spiked the football, not on the five-yard line, but at the 50-yard line, and she had phoned it in. And people saw through her phoniness. The people who were gettable by her saw her not trying, not going to Wisconsin or Michigan or other critical states, only going to Pennsylvania outside of Philadelphia the night before the election because they got the Obamas and Bruce Springsteen and John Bon Jovi. I'm like, oh, okay. Look at the huge crowd. This is obviously a show of support for Hillary Clinton. She's going to carry Pennsylvania. No. You tell me, or not me, because I think that they both suck, but you tell me that or tell other people that John Bon Jovi and Bruce Springsteen are going to be performing a free show. I'd sit through a 
couple of political speeches from people I couldn't stand and watch a free show of people I'd never pay for, but I could box, check that box and go, you know, I, I saw Bruce Springsteen once, even though I think he sucks, but, you know, that sort of thing. The arrogance and the assumption that they were going to win turned people off. The Clintons turned people off. The idea of these people once again returning to power turned people off. I gleefully voted against Hillary Clinton. I never thought Trump would win, but I gleef- I lived in Maryland. Hillary Clinton carried the state by 40 points. But I wanted to register that I did not, I wanted a proof in my own heart that I made sure that I voted against her. The media thinks that they pushed Trump over the edge. Hillary sure helped. Trump helped. He was actually out there talking about doing things, talking about things in a way that no politician ever did. But ultimately, I think the best thing that Trump had going for him in 2016 was that the alternative on the other side of the ballot was Hillary Clinton. Who the hell would vote for that? Shifting gears now, I just want to demonstrate the left and and how they... (sighs) The manipulation game, the pandering game. This goes back and ties into what I talk about regularly. But what I started talking about... uh, at the beginning of the show, too, the absolution, personal responsibility, the pandering, the victimhood, the absolute pandering that goes on. Secretary Mayor Pete Buttigieg, Buttigieg, I think I mispronounced, Buttigieg, he was on with Al Sharpton. They, they just go and kiss up to this guy. It is unbelievable. Al Sharpton has a literal body count in his wake. A literal body count in his wake. And they're sucking up to him. Going, oh, that Pete Buddha. That, uh, I, he's a civil rights leader, this uh, Al Sharpton guy. No, he's not. He's not a civil rights leader. He's an opportunist. He's a tax cheat. He's everything you can possibly imagine. He's a scumbag. He's caused riots, but somehow he's been rehabilitated. The old joke, you know, if this person didn't exist in nature, they'd have to create them. Well, Al Sharpton is that. He is both. He existed in nature, and he was shunned. He was, and out, he was looked at as the grifter that he is. And then one day, they said, you know what? We need somebody to fill this role. Jesse Jackson is too old. We didn't really build up anybody else. It was Jackson and Sharpton. Sharpton lost a lot of weight. Jackson, you know, Sharpton doesn't have at least the exposure, public exposure of the illegitimate children and the philandering that Jesse Jackson had. And boy, howdy, there were stories floating around for a long time about that. Don't know about Al Sharpton, but he's divorced now, as every good man of God would be. And the last I saw, he was dating some young, hot thing because he's rich. You know, as every man of God, God wanted him to have a good-looking girlfriend and millions of dollars and get people killed at Freddy's Fashion Mart, that sort of thing. He just wanted it. Um, Well, now he's a ring you have to kiss. Every Democrat who announces for president has to go up to Harlem and pretend that you know eating 
chicken and waffles is in a window while the media takes pictures outside. It's a perfectly normal thing to do. They all do it. It's sick. There's something wrong with that party. But anyway, sitting down with Al Sharpton was Secretary of Transportation, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. And they're at the National Action Network's annual or semi-annual. I'm sure they do a lot of them, events, because they get the corporate sponsors. Because, like, hey, would you like to corporate sponsor the National Action Network's uh, conference is coming up uh, next month? No. All right, then. Be prepared that we're going to call you a racist nonstop. Oh, uh, you mean for $100,000? Sure, yeah. All right, whatever. We'll give you the money. Just don't call us racists. It's a hell of a grift. I mean, you create the problem and you profit off of solving the problem. Only Al Sharpton can grant you absolution. From a charge of racism by Al Sharpton. Not reality, not anything else. And the only way to make sure you don't get a charge of racism against you is to give him a big old check. Well, Secretary Mayor Pete, watching, knowing the audience, you can't just go in there and talk about issues that human beings care about. No, it has to be the race-based questions that the left is absolutely obsessed about. And there's not a whole lot in traffic world, especially, I mean, Mayor Pete has already declared various bridges to be racist, various freeways to be racist. What else can you claim is racist? Well, it turns out that traffic accidents and people being hit by cars now, also racist. Honestly, if I'm listening to Secretary Mayor Pete now, Sharpton, first of all, I've never listened to either one of them. They're both clowns. But... If I'm a black person listening to this, I, you'd never leave the house. You should never leave the house unless you're dressed in head-to-toe reflective gear, nonstop reflective gear while also being covered in bubble wrap and helmets and things like that. Because not only have all the politicians told you that society is out to get you, you got a bulletproof bubble wrap. Not only is society out to get you and police are out to get you and you're never going to get ahead, but now... Every vehicle on the damn road is out to get you. I'm only slightly exaggerating. We've got a crisis when it comes to roadway fatalities in America. We lose about 40,000 people every year. It's a level that's comparable to gun violence. And we see a lot of racial disparities. Black and brown Americans, tribal citizens, and rural residents much more likely to lose their lives, whether it's in a car or as a pedestrian being hit by a car. There are a lot of reasons uh, related to discrimination, related to uh, even the ways that roads are designed and built. Who has access to uh, a safe street design that's got crosswalks and good lighting? Who doesn't have that access? That can drive disparities. And we have a a responsibility to act on that. (laughs) We must act against racist roads right now. Oh, yeah, no, this, okay. If you are in a neighborhood where the streetlights are burned out, why do you think this, what, whose responsibility is it to replace the streetlights? It is not the Department of Transportation. It is not Washington, D.C. It is your locality. 
if there are large stretches of a block where all the streetlights are out, first of all, I might suggest that somebody was throwing rocks at them or shooting at them because they wanted that street dark for whatever reason. But also, it is up to the Democrat-controlled city government to come in and replace those bulbs. People are being hit by cars because of racism. There were roads built. Hey, you know what? Let's uh, No roads over here where Whitey's going to live. Did we all ride horse? Did I miss a memo? Are we supposed to walk to a central location, get out of our neighborhood? before we Because there are cars that drive down my street all the time. It's weird. I swear to God, I'm pretty sure they they drive down our streets. It could be something else. I don't know. It might be people running by on horseback with uh, a boombox of car sounds there just to, to fool people. And how the hell do you make that argument? We got Traffic fatalities are a sign of racism. How? Are white people? Is it the new Klan? You get a big car and you drive through minority neighborhoods and Indian reservations and what have you and just try to run people over? Is that is it Grand Theft Auto for real out there? Or maybe something else, because I'm pretty sure if there was a rash of people driving down sidewalks, running over people. It would have made the news by now, right? It, It seems like that would be something that would make the news. They would, you know, sidewalk control now. We'd put up those barricades that you can't drive through along the sidewalks that people get. Maybe it's that people need to be told that you don't cross in the middle of a block. Or if you do, you make sure that you look both ways or what have you. Because I'm betting that nine times out of ten, maybe even more of the times that somebody's hit by a car it is a direct result of their actions not the evil clansman behind the wheel and i would also venture to guess that the vast majority of people since we do have people you know particularly in these urban areas that uh, secretary mayor pete is talking about and they're minorities so he's talking about he's using code to talk about black neighborhoods and indian reservations talking about native americans um that the people running over people or hitting people getting into car accidents in black neighborhoods are largely black. I'm just going out on a limb there and doing that. So then are you saying that the black people driving those cars are racist or is the car racist? How does racism get into there? He doesn't say. He's talking to Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton's getting sexually aroused at just the talk of this, so he's not going to ask any questions. But it is absurd. Having been on an Indian reservation, I can promise you there are not a lot of, unless it's near a casino, there are not a lot of non-Native Americans, regardless everybody's at the casino, but there are not a lot of Native Americans outside of the immediate casino area. So how is it that Native Americans are doing that? Why is it the federal government's responsibility to buy light bulbs for streetlights that are out on tribal lands? They are self-governing. 
they can go to Amazon and order all the light bulbs they want. Or if there is a program through the Department of Transportation, they can, I don't know, order stuff from the department. They could say, hey, Department of Transportation, we need some light bulbs. And they'd send them, or however it works. But because they need to keep people scared, they need to keep people ignorant, Secretary Mayor Pete goes out there and says, oh, this is racism. This is racism. It is racism. It is racism to look at a group of people and assume they can't take care of themselves and assume that society somehow is causing them to jaywalk and if only we could spend more money on them. No, no, that's not how it works. More crosswalks? Do adults not know how to walk across the street if there aren't freshly painted lines and intersections? Look, I jaywalk with the best of them. I admit it. When I'm in cities, I park, I go across. I look both ways. I sometimes have to hustle. I got the kids with me. I go to the crosswalk. It's pretty simple, pretty basic stuff. Most people do it. Maybe it's the infantilizing of people, Secretary Mayor Pete. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's telling people they've got nothing to live for because they'll never get ahead and they should stop trying causes them to live like they're evil Knievel looking at Snake River Canyon. Maybe. I don't know. But I know it's not racism. You fraud. We have an update on the uh, the Bud Light controversy. It's kind of funny. It's working. Seemingly, the CEO tried to apologize, not in a very particularly effective way, of Anheuser-Busch. And now we're getting the so-called think pieces from the left. I love this one from Market Watch. How a conservative boycott of Bud Light could create a backlash to the backlash. A backlash. See, don't do this, conservatives. It'll be a backlash to the backlash. After Bud Light's recent partnership with transgender influencers, sales of the beers have taken a hit as a result of conservative calls for boycott, or they may get a boost from another, uh, from uh, or they may get a boost from other consumers buying more of the product in response. Whatever the effect, analysts say it will likely evaporate quickly. I think they're underestimating people's resolves to not seeing children butchered. What's more, a broader downtrend could overshadow any blip in sales figures. Bud Light's relevance had been fading for years as seltzer and canned cocktails compete for our attention of younger consumers. And as more health-conscious consumers shy away from alcohol consumption altogether, yeah, the more health-conscious consumers are smoking weed because nothing is healthier for the lung than unfiltered herbs being ignited and then the uh, combustion being inhaled directly into the lungs yeah there's no there's no there's no research to suggest otherwise god idiots no hard data exists yet on nationwide sales impacts for bud light and our brewer anheuser-busch and its parent company ab inbev after some right-wing social media accounts this month began attacking the brand for partnering with dylan mulvaney a trans actress and social media star God, Dylan Mulvaney, the dude, plain dress up. But some marketing experts say that, at least from a financial perspective, the effects of similar boycotts in the past have been short-lived. Oh, 
Quote, when we see these social media firestorms, a lot of times they're very short in nature, said Beth Fawson, an assistant professor of marketing at Indiana University. There's a short burst of outcry or anger or even high levels of positive support at the other end. Oh, yeah, it's going to be a great thing for Bud Light. Well, this is something different. It's usually the left that tries to lead those boycotts and conservatives swoop in and pick up the slack, but there's no lefty going to come in and buy Bud Light. It's corporate. It's beer. Ugh, ew. They gave Dylan Mulvaney, they paid that dude $100,000 to drink a beer, and he looked like he was choking down slime. He looked like he was drinking out of an ashtray. Well, yeah, I love this. This is good beer. Just about to barf. But you can always count on Republicans because Anheuser-Busch gives money to the GOP to come in and screw things up. Business insider. Donald Trump Jr. is calling for an end of a conservative-led boycott against Bud Light, which is owned by Anheuser-Busch, over the parent company's partnership with trans influencer Dylan Mulvaney. Why? During his April 13th podcast, uh, the eldest son of the former president addressed the controversy that had become a new cultural front in the political rights increasing vocal criticism of transgender issues and a conservative push to pass legislation restricting gender-affirming care. It's not gender-affirming care. It's the butchering of human bodies, but whatever, it is restricting it for children. Not adult. Trump Jr., who frequently rails against what he deems as woke influences on American society, is usually fighting alongside conservatives on many issues. But he broke away of the movement, as is related to Anheuser-Busch. Quote, I'm not for destroying an American, an iconic company, for something like this. The company itself doesn't participate in the same leftist nonsense as other big conglomerates, he said. They just did. They just did. All right? There has to be some sort of response to that, lest they do it again. This is how it starts. You just let the first one slide, and then there's a second one, because the first one slid. You let the third one slide, too, because, well, there's only two before it. I mean, come on. In the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. Do you care if somebody is giving you political contributions and giving your opponents political contributions? Shouldn't you have some kind of standards? Shouldn't you? It's a serious question. I think you should. I want to uh, shift gears now and show you what the hell's going on in culture. This clip is long, and I debated should I cut it up or should I not even play it at all, but you got to know what's going on out there in the culture. I don't watch Saturday Night Live anymore. I never really, Saturday Night Live was never really appointment television once I, frankly, was old enough to get into clubs. (laughs) <laughs> like Saturday nights were, were out and about with my friends. They're not like, oh, I've got to be home by 1130 because I got to see who's hosting Saturday Night Live. Occasionally I might uh, you know, record it because of who the musical guest was or who the host was, but there was not appointment television. Well, it is really not appointment television now. It's terrible. It is what has happened to all other nightly comedy shows. Used to be jokes. It was set up punchline, set up punchline. Now it is political speech applause line. The audiences don't laugh as much as they cheer in agreement. It's bizarre watching comedy get destroyed like that, but it is. 
Now, Saturday Night Live has a uh, <clears throat> what is it, a trans, no, a non-binary person. They're very excited about this. This person was hired because they're non, non-binary means nothing. Non-bi- this woman is built like a linebacker. She's not attractive to anybody. And so she goes, uh, I'm non-binary. Like, okay, nobody cares. Nobody cares. Her name is Molly Kearney, something like that. K-E-A-R-N-E-Y, Kearney, Kearney, who cares? She's not funny. That's the problem. If she were based on merit, there's no way on God's green earth this person would get on Saturday Night Live. You have to be funny. You are supposed to bring comedy, some characters, whatever, to the show. There is nothing this person brings except that they're Saturday Night Live's first non-binary cast member. Now, how can I say that? How mean is it? Well, listen to the introduction. In this skit from the Weekend Update, their fake news segment, this person, Megan, comes down from the rafters in a harness. And as she is descending, you're supposed to use they, them pronouns, but I'm not interested. As she is descending, the voiceover guy who took over for Don Pardo was like, Saturday Night Live's first non-binary cast member, just so you know. Because you're gonna, if you didn't know that, you'd sit there and you'd go, why is this person, this wildly unfunny person on Saturday Night Live? And then, But the intro, they took care of it. Oh, non-binary. All right, trans. We've got to pretend whatever they say, we have to applaud it because otherwise it's uh, transphobic to not think it. And then she goes on a rant about how trans children are being treated poorly, being mean. People are being mean to them by not allowing 13-year-olds to butcher their bodies permanently and irreversibly. It is it's a political speech that would have been better suited to the Democratic National Committee, but instead it's what passes for comedy amongst the soy latte Zeta male crowd. Since the start of this year, over 400 anti-LGBTQ bills have been introduced across the country, many of which directly <laughs> target trans youth. Here to talk about it is someone with their own introduction. <laughs> Introducing SNL's first non-binary cast member, it's Molly Carney! Made it! Thank you, Mr. J. Molly, what is all this? Well, as you know, I've been wanting to come to Update and talk about trans people, but I have for a much longer time than that wanted to fly down from the ceiling. (laughs) And did it live up to your expectations? Yeah, but I'm not going to lie, this harness is pretty tight and my groin area is beefed. (laughs) I've been hung up on my genitals for far too long and I'm starting to feel like a frickin' Republican lawmaker. Hello! That's an awesome transition. So, as of this week, (laughs) there are now over 14 states that have passed bills restricting health care for trans kids. Listen to that, Michael. Restricting health care for kids. For some reason, there's something about the word trans that makes people forget the word kids. If you don't care about trans kids' lives, it means you don't care about frickin' kids' lives. Wow, wow. 
I can, uh, I can tell you're really upset about that. I am, and also, my legs are going numb and I might pass out. Oh, Molly, how long were you hanging up there? Longer than I would have liked. Uh, I tried to call down, but no one could hear me. You know, at one point, I heard a crew guy say, is she gonna die up there? And then another guy was like, you mean, are they going to die up there? And then they both walked away and didn't help. Which feels a lot like how trans people are being treated right now. But don't worry, we have a code word for emergencies, and it was trans rights. Uh, that was the code for confetti. <laughs> My bad, bud. That was so loud. Well, yeah, people need to wake up. We are making trans kids grow up too fast. We should be keeping them safe, and we need to lift them up. Oh, not, not me, them. <laughs> I mean the kids. Jay, <laughs> they got my pronouns right. Let's go. What's happening, kids, is wrong, and you don't need to be scared. Our job is to protect you, and your job is to focus on being a kid. It's kind of like me flying in the SNL sky. There's a bunch of dudes asking you about your crotch and controlling when and where you're allowed to pee. But if you just hang on, you'll look up and realize, yeah, flying, kid. Hey. Hey, Mr. J, am I still in the frame? I mean, your feet are. Nice! Trans rock! everybody! we get nothing on Michael... There you go. That's what passes for comedy these days. She's doing a, a female impersonator's impersonation of some of the skits that Chris Farley used to do. See me. And that's what passes for comedy. Arr, my crotch! Okay, the line's not funny, but if I deliver it like I'm passing a stone, then you flash the applause line, the audience will applaud. And if you notice there, the cheering. It was cheering. The audience was cheering. They were not laughing. They were cheering. They understand that if they did not cheer hard, they're like a, a North Korean audience when Kim Jong-un is introduced. Uh, we, you, nobody wants to be the first one to stop applauding because they're the ones who are likely to get killed. That's what the left is. Clap until your hands bleed. Shut your mouth. Clap until your hands bleed because if you're the first one who stops, you're the hate monger. It's like a perverted version of musical chairs. That was a, I wanted to play the whole thing because I didn't. there's no con. You can't cut that up. Now you heard it literally what comedy has become she's hired because she claims to be non-binary there's no barrier to entry just claim you're non hey i'm non-binary there i'm i'm in that's it it's pathetic what this country has become what comedy has become what these people are doing to this country it absolutely needs to be stamped out undoubtedly Anyway, that is about all the time we have for today. It's going to be a little cold the next couple of days, but it'll warm up. It'll be wonderful. It'll be great. Get outside as often as you can. Laugh a little bit for the love of God. It's all we really got. And we got to sharpen our elbows as well. We'll be back to do it all over again tomorrow because, like I say, the crazy 
never stops, even when you desperately want it to. Thank you for listening.